1: Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
2: Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The number of Americans that quit their jobs during the pandemic spiked, and it could be a permanent fixture on the job market. This has led to more opportunities for employees, but for employers, it's been a nightmare. They're dealing with high turnover and how to keep workers happy. Simply offering a work-from-home model doesn't work anymore. For more on what some are calling the forever resignation, we'll speak to Aki Ito, senior correspondent at Business Insider.
3: We've been seeing um, incredibly high attrition rates at companies across the country for at least a year now. People are calling this the great resignation. And executives are just, you know, really tired of it. It's incredibly expensive to hire right now. They're trying so hard to retain their existing employees. It's exhausting. And so they're asking, when is this going to end? But what uh, one research from Gartner predicts is that it's never going to end, that a high turnover is just going to be a permanent thing in the American workplace because of remote work, which isn't going away even after the pandemic. Um, so it's a really interesting prospect, you know, we don't know if this is going to be true until the future comes. Right. But I found the prediction incredibly compelling and they have some interesting data to back that.
2: So for a little perspective, right, they say that it's going to remain 20% higher than before the pandemic, the, the, the rate of resignations, let's say. And, you know, so for a large company, something with 25,000 employees, that means that 1,000 employees could be quitting each year. That's a lot of uh, training and retraining that you got to do, uh, you know, all the new hires and added benefits, everything. That's a lot that the companies would have to go through.
3: Yeah, that's right. And that's an additional 1000 people quitting per year compared to before the pandemic. So yeah, it's it's just a tremendous amount of turnover. For companies, it means that they're probably going to have to, you know, hire more recruiters, right, to replace yeah. <laughs> just all of those openings. And, uh, you know, Gartner says that companies are probably going to have to run their organizations in a very different way as well leading up to probably today, there was this incredible emphasis on running hyper lean organizations, making sure that everybody was working at 100% capacity. And you probably can't do that in the world we're entering into the future, just because that means that when you have high turnover, you know, entire teams are not going to be able to do their work or people are going to have to work overtime to make up for the person who left and they're going to burn out. That's not sustainable. So that means, you know, hiring more People across the board, across the entire organization, which once again is also an expensive thing. That's why yeah. a lot of employers do not want to, you know, believe that this uh, prediction is true. But I, once again, I find it really compelling.
2: Right, like you said, more recruiters and over hiring. Right. So what does that do? Even, you know, it makes a, a team less efficient. It could because there's more players going throughout the thing. But, you know, when you talk about a company being nimble and adapting very quickly to rapidly changing situations, you know, a lot of times that was with smaller groups, right? You can do things a lot easier that way because people could take more ownership of certain aspects of it. But now it kind of means the opposite. You need more people. So when Something happens and people do leave unexpectedly, as you mentioned right now. It doesn't fall onto everybody else and everyone is overburdened at that point. So, I mean, it's a real uh, interesting way that the companies are going to have to adapt. And kind of as we've been talking, right, one of the big things that they found was that a big chunk of people saying why they're leaving jobs, why they're looking for other things have to do with things specifically related to the pandemic. The work from home stuff was just so important to a lot of people. And for the employers, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to attract new people now, just saying, hey, you can work from home is not enough. You know, you need to go above and beyond that because a lot of companies are offering that.
3: And the remote thing specifically is people saying, I wouldn't have, you know, in their exit surveys at the companies that they're quitting, they're saying, I wouldn't have taken this new job if I had to move for it. But because it's remote, I don't have to move for it. It essentially means that you have so many more options, right, with these remote jobs than uh, you ever had before, especially if you were in a smaller city, a small Town, and because you have more options, that means that there are more options to leave to, uh, you know, permanently in the yeah. future, and and that's why Gartner is estimating that voluntary turnover is going to remain so high.
2: And here's another catch twenty two that uh, I saw in the article too is that according to Pew Research Center, when they talk to people, 65% of new remote workers say they feel less connected to coworkers. And this disconnection is one of those things that causes a lot of people to quit their jobs. A lot causes a lot of turnover in the workforce. So even more burden is placed on the employers to try to figure that out, to how to make everybody feel connected and part of a team. Because when you are, and I can attest to it, right, anecdotally, a lot of people can, working from home over Zoom calls, it's just not the same. And
3: it's a catch-22 because, you know, you have to, you know, in this new world of work, you pretty much have to offer the option of at least hybrid work in order to get people to even interview with you. But once you offer hybrid and remote work to get people through the door to even get them to come to your company, then retention gets a little bit harder because you don't have those in-person relationships the way that we used to back in the pre-pandemic world. You know, executives might be tempted to hear this and say, oh, this means that we should just call everybody back into the office. But that's not the solution at all, because <laughs> no. then you're just driving everybody away. That's going to make retention worse. The real trick here is to try to figure out how do you build these connections that we used to have in the workplace, even in a remote environment. You know, it's it's really hard to do over Zoom, but it's not impossible. You know, right. some organizations have figured this out or are starting to figure it out. So I think that is gonna be really one of the big challenges for every company over the next few years.
2: Yeah, it's really hard to take away things that you've given to employees you know, and and to take it back is always so tough. And just another interesting look at how the pandemic has really affected us in so many ways. The great resignation, now the forever resignation, right? It is quickly changing landscape. So we'll keep an eye out for all of that. Aki Ito, Senior Correspondent at Business Insider. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Next, it's something that families have been struggling with. The massive amounts of time kids are spending on their screens. But there's a small number of parents who are refusing to give their kids smartphones. 53% of kids have a smartphone by age 11, and that number swells to 89% once they hit 16. It can be a hard dilemma for families to navigate, as children often feel left out and face social pressures as well. For more on What to Know, we'll speak to Ellen McCarthy, reporter at the Washington Post
4: for these parents it really is a catch-22 and they understand uh, really well how difficult it is for these children to go without them because you remember when you were a teenager or you were a middle schooler and you didn't have something you know you were gonna let your parents know about it and so these kids right. are really in their parents ears I need a smartphone. I need it. This is how my friends um, hang out. Like I'm missing out on that group text. And so I didn't get invited to that party. And that's not fair, mom. You know, so it really is a difficult thing for parents to at this point not give their kids a smartphone. I think it's much easier to give them one. But the parents who are holding out are parents who are just deeply concerned about the ramifications of smartphones on a developing brain. I mean, they're worried about it the ramifications on their own brains too and on adult brains but i think especially on a brain that is still in progress you know what's right. going to happen to the attention span what's going to happen to their social emotional well-being if they spend all of their time on social media what's going to happen in terms of addictions you know to the smartphone itself to online gaming to pornography things like that and so they just have sort of made the hardline decision that they're not going to
2: do it. Let's put a little bit of numbers to this because I find it always helps. So this these numbers are coming from a 2019 report by Common Sense Media. They say 53% of American children have a smartphone of their own by age 11. By the time they're 16, 89% of kids have one. So in uh, one of the mothers that you spoke to, she's actually a psychiatrist who works w- primarily with high school kids and college students. And that's one of the top things that she always works with them on is, well, let's start with uh, how much you're using your device, maybe start deleting an app here or there. And that's one of the first things that she tries to establish with them before they can even continue with whatever other treatment they need.
4: That's right. She said that it's incredibly rare for her to find a patient who comes to her seeking help. And they often are seeking help for things like I can't focus on my schoolwork or depression or eating disorders or anxiety. Almost never do they come to her. And when she asks if see screen time, is it less than nine hours a day, a day, right, exactly. <laughs> I should clarify what she says, you know, that that means that they are on their phones more than they're sleeping. And there's only 24 hours in a day. That doesn't leave that many hours left for real life.
2: Right. So she's practicing this with her children, no smartphone, and one of her daughters. So these are kind of the effects of what happens, right? And to the point that you were making earlier, missing out on certain things. Her daughter was doing dance competitions, and she'd Mm -hmm. be there in a lot of downtime waiting for the next performance and all that. And her friends are constantly on their phones, and she's trying to talk to them. They drift away back under the phones and she has like no recourse there. So she started bringing a book, yeah. but she really felt the disconnect with the other kids. And I think she ended up quitting dance for a while because she was just not making the friends or, or making those relationships there because too many people on their phones and she had none of herself.
4: Isn't that amazing? I mean, it, it is isn't. it isn't right. It's almost like if an adult was asked to go and sit at a bar by themselves while waiting for a friend. And just sit there right <laughs> because <laughs> right. everybody else is on their phone and imagine how you feel like you just are, like what am i supposed to do with myself with my hands with my eyes with my brain right now everybody else is doing this one thing nobody is talking to me how am i supposed to spend my time and i think she felt really really isolated and it was really hard she said she just couldn't make any friends and so she quit the thing that she loves the most right. in the world yeah, that's, uh, that's totally
2: so tough there. And then so for on the other side of things, right? Parents, you know, we're talking about kind of what's going on in modern life right now. You need to keep in touch with your kids. It's yeah. a tough thing. So sometimes parents are like, okay, well, we'll give you a dumb phone, <laughs> you know, something that right. only does texts and calls. And even that is kind of a tough situation for the kids. You know, we keep going back and forth, right? It's not a necessity, but increasingly, when your peers around you have these things, you feel like it is. And and some of the kids uh, that their parents gave them these these more simpler phones, they even said, "Hey, it's embarrassing. I'm gonna keep it tucked away and not bring it out because because <laughs> uh, yeah. you know because of all the pressures going around uh, on around uh, around them."
4: Yeah, I'd rather have nothing at all, forget it, than this embarrassing thing. Is what some of them said. You know, the question that I came away with from this story, and I think it's not answerable at this moment is, how are we going to view this fifty years from now? is this Is this a matter of the technology it's here is here, it's arrived, it's not going anywhere and give with it people, you know, like right. get on board, try not to be a holdout. Don't be the person who's like scared of the television or whatever it is. Or are we going to look back and say, oh, my gosh, remember when everybody smoked? How crazy was that? Is that how we're going to feel about smartphones? Are we going to say, remember when we all just like handed our children, you know, these little devices that had unfettered access to the Internet and everything on it? I just don't think we know yet. So it really is a tricky dilemma for yeah. parents and for kids.
2: No, I totally agree because, you know, we're even going to this next phase where where they call the younger kids now the digital natives. They They have these yeah. phones and other devices in their hands and they're acclimated to it so much more quickly. But... That's how technology is carrying us forward. Those are the next phases. We're talking about the metaverse, right? People living, increasingly living their lives online and all this. And it is, it's weird, you, do you set a kid back? Does it help them uh, develop better? In some of the cases of the parents you spoke to, the kids did say, hey, you know what? I, I do feel a little bit better despite some of the other negative things they feel around them. So it, it's an interesting conversation. It's interesting that some parents are still holding to it for now. Ellen McCarthy, feature reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Great to talk to you. Thanks for having me.
0: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's
1: oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic.
2: finally for this week the circus is coming back five years ago ringling brothers and barnum and bailey circus said it was closing due to sagging ticket sales and an outdated business model we recently heard that they announced a return in 2023 but with one notable absence the animals the elephants and lions are gone and the circus will take on a more narrative story based on human feats for more on all this we'll speak to sarah maslin near Reporter at The New York Times.
5: It's an interesting question, right? Is a circus a circus without the elephants standing on their hind legs and the tigers and lions jumping through hoops? That has been synonymous with Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey, actually, since its inception. It uh, started as really a menagerie, uh, and it uh, is losing that. It closed in 2017. They said... It was really because their business model didn't work. They had a mile-long train that they transported everyone, including their crew and their trapeze equipment, across the country. And that was just cost-prohibited. But it was also in response to a growing distaste for animal acts. People just don't want to see it anymore. And I think a half dozen states have blocked them, actually.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the big things that happened was in 2009, PETA conducted a hidden camera investigation into the treatment of the the animals there from Ringling, uh, and the elephants specifically. And, you know, a lot of people did not like what they saw. I mean, so much so the Department of Agriculture ordered them to pay $270,000 as a penalty for violations that they had there. So, really, from then on, it kind of started calling into questions the treatment of animals. And and like you said, to your point, the public as well, it seemed like really was falling out of favor with a lot of that stuff.
5: Yeah. And there are other circuses that have done this, right? In Mexico, for example, they banned in 2015 wild animal acts. And circus is really popular there. I spoke to a young man whose family owns the Circo Ayade Hermanos in Mexico. And the circus really suffered when they had to give up their two elephants, Tommy and Safari in 2015. But it rebounded. And it rebounded eventually, he told me, because they changed to a real narrative storytelling. The circus is a three ring act extravaganza. It doesn't have story behind it. But when the Ayada Hermano circus changed to storytelling, then it got the crowd back. And that's actually what Ringling is planning on doing. It's going to be much more about the backstories of the performers. It's going to tell a tale. They're going to be speaking parts in the circus.
2: So they're trying something new. Yeah, definitely. And they brought in somebody from Cirque du Soleil to help with the Mm -hmm. casting process. And even in some of the languages they use, right? To your point, we want people to, uh, that have stories and then they, they can tell those stories with their bodies and and through performance and everything so for ringling brothers they've always said we've been an ongoing evolution right you know people point to the classic freak shows and things like that those have largely been phased out and so they just say that this is another step in their evolution
5: Yeah, and their new evolution is going to include some really interesting, even maybe strange things like they want the circus to be a 365 day year experience is what their executives told me. What that means exactly? They were a little less forthcoming, but you should anticipate circus branded products on shelves like toiletries and dish soap. They, they wouldn't exclude that. They might do theme park attractions and, and mall events. There might be a circus curriculum, a sort of a STEM curriculum for students branded with Ringling. They're trying to innovate and make circus more relevant and present in people's lives along with this revamp.
2: So the comeback tour, as I mentioned, September 28th, 2023, they're going to do a tour of more than 50 cities and to the point even of the the old model right they had this big train hauling all of this stuff i mean their performers now are going to come in and they're just going to either drive or fly to whatever city there is they're going to stay in hotels i'm sure it's probably much better for the performers in that respect as well but this is another shift where they it, it just seems like they're going to save money on that logistically just just making those adjustments
5: Yeah, if they revamp their business model, they're going to save a ton. Though some of the performers I spoke to said you lose a lot of circus culture, right? Those trains were places where families traveled along the road for generations. I spoke to a family, Brian Miser, who was the human cannonball for many, many years. And his daughter, Skylar, was really born on the road with them. Actually, she is likely to be the human cannonball in the new Ringling Brothers at age 18. But there is something missed, they say, in that change in culture, but there's also a lot less money spent.
2: And again, you know, to the point of the change in culture, right, there are some that are uh, still detractors. Got some words from uh, the Loomis Brothers Circus, and they're saying they don't think it's going to work. People go to circuses because they expect animal performances, and I think they still have some animals and elephants in their uh, shows, in the Loomis Brothers shows, but they say they don't think the new thing will work for Ringling Brothers. That could be a little bit of competition speaking there, but uh, you know, they're still trying to stick to the old ways.
5: I was there on the last day of their performance in May of 2017, the final show. They had phased out elephants a couple years before, based on pressure. They had retired their herd, and yet they were still selling plastic mugs shaped like elephants. You know, elephants and animals are part and parcel for many people's conception of what circus is. So it remains a question when they show up and they buy their ticket and they're under the big top and there's no Dumbo, will they want to come back?
2: Well, it'll be an interesting thing. We still got some time before this rolls out. But, you know, they have such a storied presence when it comes to circuses. I I mean, I can't imagine that they uh, won't be successful again, at least for a little bit of time. So we'll keep an eye out for all of that. Sarah maslin Near, staff reporter at The New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.